Welcome to the People of Packaging podcast, where we introduce people to the world of packaging and the people of packaging to the world. Here are your hosts, Adam Peek and Ted Tate. Okay, I'm going to be honest. I love so many of these interviews. I've had a blast uh, talking to people. Um, but this interview with Philippe Earhart from Aptar is is potentially just one of my favorites. Uh, Philippe gets real. We talk about leadership, leading during a pandemic, the importance of diversity. If you're not aware, um, it's a huge component to this podcast is amplifying uh, and illuminating voices of people in the industry, specifically people of color and women in the, in the space. And so uh, Philippe gets into that during this interview, and I'm excited for you to listen to it. It's awesome, but just flat out awesome. So uh, shout out to Philippe and to Jamie over at Aptar for kind of coordinating this thing and putting it together. I also got to give a shout out to our sponsor, of course, Doxalent. Uh, they are our first sponsor. And that's been pretty cool. They've created a packaging specification management software called Ensure. Listen, we've all been there, right? We're using document templates, spreadsheets, shared drives, emails, you know, Dropbox, whatever, you name it, right? Specs are everywhere. They're with your vendors. They're not with your vendors. You have no idea where they are. They're uncontrolled. Uh, they're modified. And they're leading to problems. So it's becoming difficult for your company to ensure the same standards are met across different departments, business units, and maintaining compliance. So what Ensure does is helps you control your specs and maximize the efficiency of your specification workflows. You can create, revise, and replicate specs in a controlled environment, preventing human error. You can link to related documents like artwork, technical drawings, die lines, all these things. Collaborate with your suppliers. And, and everybody else in the supply chain. You can even automate email notifications, alerting suppliers and stakeholders when specs and documents become effective. So here's what you need to do. Uh, please, you can head over to peopleofpackaging.com, peopleofpackaging.com. There's a form there. It's super easy. Your first name, last name, your email address. You are gonna get the free ebook, How to Transform Your Packaging Specification Workflow to increase efficiency and decrease time to market, which we all want. You're gonna get that book for free, uh, first name, last name, email address. It helps support the podcast. And more importantly, it helps minimize problems and it's gonna just help you in your job if you're a packaging engineer, if you work for a company. So please head on over to peopleofpackaging.com and uh, let's get it done. So without any more interruptions, I'm super excited to introduce Philippe Earhart from Aptar. All right, so I am here with Philippe Earhart. Uh, his name is not Felipe, as I just learned in the uh, introductions. It is Philippe, and uh, he is the president of North America for Aptar. Sorry, I had a that would have been an impressive title for you to just be the president of North America uh, for beauty and home. And uh, we're, I'm super excited. We had a chance to connect at uh, what was the show that we talked at? It was 
before COVID. in LA. It was Luxpack LA, yes. Yeah. So we had a chance to connect up at Luxpack and it was great. That was actually, I don't remember if I told you, but that was the genesis of the podcast was when myself and Ted, uh, who's the co-host, we connected at Luxpack in New York City. So it's, it's sort of coming full circle here. Um, so welcome. Uh, welcome to the People of Packaging podcast. Thank you. So uh, the way this is going to kind of work is you're going to tell us all about yourself and kind of your journey. This is about people. Um, so we're not going to get into, you know, necessarily all of the ins and outs and the specs of, uh, you know, closures and caps and all the things that Aptar does, which I'm sure is way more than what I just, what I just indicated. Um, but we want to know about you and, you know, how, how you got into this role a little bit and, you know, maybe even, and, and having a title, like the title that you have, how has it been managing through a lot of this pandemic and a lot of the, the chaos that we've had? So I'm actually excited to get into that. Um, so let's start a little bit with your background. You know, we meet at, we meet at Luxpack and we've never met before and nobody's there to introduce us. So, uh, you know, introduce yourself to the audience and uh, yeah, you can, you can kick us off that way. Great. Uh, well, Adam, thank you very much for having me in this podcast. Um, with the name Philippe and not Felipe, uh, I am from France originally, uh, which explains a bit my first name. Uh, so I grew up in France until about the age of 10, uh, at which uh, point we moved to a little island in the Caribbean called Martinique, hmm. uh, where I spent probably the best five years of my life from the <laughs> age of 10 to 15. Uh, and then from there, uh, we- Can I ask why? That's a, that's a first for me. So what, what prompted your family to move from France to, what was it called again? Martinique. Martinique. I've never, I don't even know. Yeah, it's a I, French, You could just be making uh, that up. You could be like, these silly Americans don't even know their geography. And I'd be like, it's in Hawaii? I don't know anything else outside. <laughs> No, it's uh, it's a French island, uh, still owned by France, actually, in the Caribbean. It's right next to St. Lucia. Okay. Um, so my father worked for a multinational shoe uh, company called Beta Shoes, not well known in the U.S., but a large uh, global multinational. And uh, he um, ended up having a, a position to go run their Caribbean retail business. So that's how we ended up on that little island. And... Uh, it was just a fantastic uh, few years as a kid living on a on a relaxed uh, island in the Caribbean. Uh, it was still the French um, uh, education system. So from that perspective, it was good and it was an enjoyable time. And then at the shock of my life, when I turned 15, we moved from this beautiful little island to Toronto, Canada. Uh, so a great shock. I mean, a language shock, a cultural shock, a climate shock. Uh, probably not what you recommend for a 15-year-old, but uh, and I thought we'd be in Toronto for a couple of years and go back to France, but I've spent the rest of my life in North America, a lot of it in the Toronto area. Uh, uh, from an education background, uh, I am an engineer. I went to the University of Ottawa, uh, and then I did an MBA at McGill University in Montreal, so Canadian educated. Uh, even though I do have a technical background, I'm more interested in uh, uh, the business side, the people side of things. Uh, 
And I think what's interesting about my background and what I wanted to share it with you is the diversity of it, uh, living as a, a minority on, a, on an island and then living in, uh, in Toronto, which is about as diverse a city in right. the world as you're going to find. Uh, so there's a lot of interest for me in uh, in being part of a diverse environment and promoting diversity in, in what we do in, in business. So that's been a big part of, of my life. Um, so I started my career actually with a Japanese company called uh, Mitsubishi uh, and uh, spent quite a bit of time in Japan and in Asia. So that kind of rounded up my European, North American, sort of Asian journey. Um and then from there, I started uh, my career in the packaging world, in the packaging space, uh, with a very large um, global packaging company, American, publicly traded, uh, Sonoco Products Company. Oh, yeah. Uh, and um, I spent 18 years with them uh, in various uh, leadership roles, uh, initially more on the sales side, commercial leadership, uh, and eventually into uh general management and, and leading business units. I spent roughly two thirds of my career with them in industrial packaging and then the remaining third in, uh, in uh, consumer packaging. Uh, and then from there, uh, about three years ago, I took a, a leap and left Sonoco after 18 years and joined Aptar uh, to lead um, the beauty and home organization for North America um, in, in the process of that packaging journey too, I left Canada and eventually came to the United States with Sonoco. Sonoco is headquartered, uh, in South Carolina in a little town called Hartsville. Um, yep. so I moved to Charlotte, lived in North Carolina for uh, about 10 years with, uh, with them. I lived in Charlotte and Winston-Salem. So, uh, again, from a cultural perspective and diversity perspective, a lot of learning of the, the Southern cultures of the United States. And now for the last three years, um, I've been living in the Chicago area uh, in my new role with, uh, with Aptar. Wow. So from Europe to the Caribbean, to Canada, to the South, and now to Chicago is, uh, you're right. You, you probably bring a, a completely different perspective and we're going to, I want to dig in on that a little bit, uh, especially, you know, with with just things that have been happening in 2020 and with your role and all that, all that sort of stuff. So um, uh, when you were, did, so when you were with Sonoka, we've, we've had a lot of uh, Clemson graduates on. Um, I know that they, I, they're really tied in with the university of Clemson. Were you able to get over and uh, have, are you a part of that program at all um, with some of the things that they're doing there? No, I have not been um, actively engaged with the, um, it's a Sonoco Packaging Center mm -hmm. in, uh, in Clemson. Uh, however, we did use it as a, um, uh, as a school for recruiting talent. So I've hired several uh, graduates of the, uh, of the packaging school, which is a very good school. Um, you know, I think when you look at the Southern geographies of the US, Clemson is, is up there in terms of the packaging engineering school. Um, I guess similar to what you would have as, you know, Michigan State in, in the north. So uh, Clemson is a very good packaging school. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, we've had, uh, like I said, a couple of, we had Dr. Hurley on who kind of runs that, runs that school. And I know that, um, you know, with their, the, the connection is, is readily uh, out there. So that's, that's pretty cool. And um, did you, 
are, did you have to drag, do you have children that you were dragging along through your moving as well, like you were? Yeah, that was the, uh, that was part of the selling job to get my wife to be willing to leave the Toronto area uh, where her family is and uh, uh, moving to Hartsville, South Carolina was not extremely appealing at first. So that's why we settled on Charlotte and I did the commute. Uh, so my kids were very young when we moved. They were seven, four and one. Okay. And what's really fun is that uh, if you talk to them today, they'll tell you, you know, we're Canadian. Uh, but you know, the one-year-old has really doesn't know much about Canada and you can put on a Southern drawl a lot easier than a Canadian accent. So it's, uh, it's interesting for the family as well. I would love to hear, uh, a kid speaking with a Southern Canadian accent <laughs> would be fantastic. Yeah. When, when we moved, um, about two and a half years ago, uh, granted it was from Colorado to Utah, but you know, our kids were. 11, nine, seven, five, and three years old. Um, and it, while it wasn't a culture shock, like maybe coming from Toronto to the South, um, it was that it was my wife and I's hometown, you know, Colorado Springs. So, um, and then moving from there to Salt Lake where we didn't as a family know anybody was, was difficult, but we've, we've really enjoyed it. Um, and Chicago, I mean, that's a great, that's a great place too. I've, it's, it's a really, it's a great city. Um, I've spent a lot of time there. So when I'm in Chicago, whenever we're allowed to safely travel again, I'll, I'll be sure to, uh, to hit you up for some pierogies and deep dish pizza or something. Absolutely. Like that. Yeah, that'll be great. Um, so uh, Aptar is, uh, is probably, I think Jamie had described it when I had met her. Jamie works for, uh, for Aptar as well in marketing communications as like this company, this big company that nobody's really ever heard of. So I, I think in the, in certain segments of the packaging industry, Aptar is a, I don't want to say a household name, but it's a, it's a name that everybody knows in these, you know, in these certain segments. And then other parts of the industry, nobody has any idea. You could say Aptar and you may as well be saying, uh, what was the name of the island? Mark. Martinique. Martinique. Yeah, you may as well be saying Martinique. It doesn't, nobody knows about it. So um, maybe a little bit about Aptar and maybe specifically, because there's a couple of divisions, right? And, uh, you know, and then we'll, we'll get in on the health and beauty or uh, home, beauty and home, sorry, not health, beauty and home uh, segment a little bit too. So, um, you know, tell us a little bit about Aptar and uh, what you guys do. Yeah, that's very interesting in a sense that it's got a um, very focused um, strategy in terms of the product lines that, it, that we are in. At the same time, we have a diversified portfolio. Uh, so by focused, we are essentially competing only in a dispensing space, uh, injection molding dispensing space. Uh, so we make pumps, uh, we make uh, aerosol sprays or valves. Uh, we make closures. Uh, and again, all of, all of those with one main purpose, which is to dispense a product. So it's either to dispense in beauty and home. Uh, it would be fragrance. It would be skincare. It would be color cosmetic. It would be personal care, uh, home care applications, such as surface cleaning or disinfectant. Uh, and then in food and beverage, um, again, it would be uh, 
the condiments and, and different beverages. And then in the pharma space, which is our third um, business units, uh, it would be dispensing uh, different drugs uh, and uh, either prescription or over-the-counter uh, asthma medication, for example, uh, uh, allergy uh, medication, for example, as well as injectables, uh, which for uh, APTA right now is very, very hot uh, and growing at a fast rate. And you can imagine with the, uh, the race uh, for vaccines, it's right. very relevant at this point. So these are the three main uh, segments uh, that we compete in, beauty and home, food and beverage, and pharma, all Got in it. dispensing products. Yeah, so um, this is going to, I promise you this will tie in, but uh, I used to be a pastor and I would tell uh, I would tell people a lot that you had you had closed-fisted principles, uh, you know, so things that you were you were principled in, and then you you keep your methodology open-handed. Um, and it wasn't my term; it was somebody else smarter than me probably thought it up. But um, so you would say, in this sense, your your singular focus, your principle, is dispensing products, but you have these sort of these different methods that you can come at it dependent on you know, the priorities and the application and the regulation, the regulatory nature of things. There's, there's, I'm sure it's, you make it seem so simple, but I can only imagine it becomes a very complex process trying to dispense products. I mean, you have to have, you have to have really great and incredible people working for you to help guide, you know, your, your customers down the right path, right? Yeah, especially on the on the technical side and the innovation side. What is great about the diversified portfolio in a very focused area, um, it really helps us uh, and makes us very attractive as a company, as a publicly traded company, um, against the you know ebbs and flows of of economic cycles, uh, even at a time right now with COVID as a, as had a significant impact on businesses, both positive and negative. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for example, in the food and beverage side, uh, our food business has been uh, seeing a surge in demand because of people consuming a lot of products at home, while beverage is going down because there's, you know, little on-the-go activity. Uh, same thing in the beauty and home, the space that I'm in. Uh, we've seen a significant surge in demand for personal cleansing products, antibacterial soap, uh, disinfectant, surface cleaning type products, while on the on the beauty side, fragrance uh, has been very badly uh, impacted, negatively impacted by the uh, by the virus. So, yeah. uh, but having having this uh, this diversified portfolio makes us very attractive because we're well equipped uh, to go through uh, challenging uh, economic environments. Yeah, and you guys get to see all of the different um, industries, or, or not all of them, but but many of the different industries within. The packaging segment and I've, I've often told friends of mine and family when they kind of ask me what I do and you tell them what it is but you know I, I say with with the right uh, diversified mix of business you can be in a as recession proof of an industry I think is as you can find obviously it's not recession proof there's no industry that's recession proof but you know it's sort of it's really malleable and moves along with you know, okay, government regulations, and now, you know, like cannabis becomes this thing, and now how do we adjust to that? And then there's, you know, then there's COVID, and we're just sort of always there, um, 
you know, adjusting and moving and ebbing and flowing, but you can't do that to your point. If you're like, you know, we make closures for beverage products and that's all we do. Well, that's going to be a really difficult, it, it could, you, you're going to be a little bit more up and down um, than, than somebody else who has that, that diversity of a portfolio. So um, that's great. Good for you guys, you know, uh, and I'm sure it hasn't been easy kind of weathering the storm. So um, you've, you've mentioned a couple of times now about leading a group of people um, and, and especially now. So there, there's two areas that I, I think have become, especially here in North America. And since, you know, that's, that's part of your title is president of North America. I'm sure how many, how many, how many employees uh, report up to you for Aptar roughly? I don't need an exact number, but. Uh, in the U.S., uh, about there's about 1,200 people in the organization. Okay. Got it. And you are you are where the the kind of the buck stops there um, for Aptar. And so when when you're trying to manage two different things, so in in North America, we've had the COVID pandemic, and then you also have an election season coupled with racial tension. Um, how has that been as a leader of a large multinational organization, but as the leader in North America, how has that been for you? Um, and what are some ways that you've been navigating and, and kind of walking through that, uh, that aspect of leadership? There's no classes for that, right? Like you didn't, you know, you, you have to, you have to either be about it or, or be fired. Probably, I don't really know. I mean, it seems like seems like that would be really really tough. And we actually haven't had anybody on the podcast to talk about that. So um, I'm I'm super intrigued how you've managed that. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, there's there's a lot of leadership courses you can take, but it's difficult to to learn in a classroom. So, um, uh, and you know, I I don't want to overuse cliches, but you know, in leadership, uh, especially in a time of crisis. Uh, it really is about empathy and and vulnerability and and transparency and and resiliency to try to to lead a group through through a difficult time um, and really leading our people um, before we even get into the the political side of things, just staying focused on the healthcare crisis for a second. Um, we very quickly. Uh, evolved into two groups of people, if you will, within the organization that we had to keep together. Uh, the first one are the people that are working, let's call them the frontline people, the, the people that are working in our plants uh, across the U.S. And we were deemed uh, essential business early on uh, because of the products that we make that I described. Right. Uh, we make dispensing products for hand sanitizer, for antibacterial soaps, for uh, disinfectants and surface cleaning, which are in very high demand um, through this, uh, this pandemic. Uh, and I'm not even talking about the pharma side, but just on our side of the beauty and home business. Mm -hmm. So we had to maintain... Um, our plants open and we have to take care of, of that group of people which are critical to us, which are in the front line in our plant running the operations. Then our second group um, are all the support functions, right? Whether it's customer service, planning, 
sales and then finance, HR, marketing, uh, all went remote, right? So, and there's challenges with, with being remote. So, and to keep these two groups together uh, and to keep them um, uh, motivated and energized in, 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 in a very difficult time. So there's really two things that I focused on in all of my communication. And the first one is, was about the safety of our people. Right? Everything that we were going to do was about the safety of our people first uh, at the expense of productivity, at the expense of anything else. Now, once we had that taken care of, we also wanted to make sure that we could um, produce as much as we could uh, mm -hmm. to meet the demand of, of our customers and the demand of, of consumers. Those are really the two things that uh, um, I've been focused on. Now, from there, really, um, uh, it, was, it, was, it was not just saying this, but actually walking the talk, mm -hmm. right? So from a safety perspective, very quickly, at the global level, uh, at the segment level, and at the regional level, we established a pandemic response leadership team. And we actually meet daily. Uh, and early on, uh, it was usually critical because as you can imagine, we're just learning our way through this, right? You don't, nobody gave us a COVID uh, course right. uh, to, uh, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and a workbook uh, to work through. Yes, there were the CDC guidelines that we continue to use. Um, and so we kept evolving uh, our plans, but uh, we made sure that we had clearly defined protocols, clearly communicated protocols, um, and consistently applied across all of our operations. Um, so that really included basic things such as, you know, social distancing uh, in the plants, mm -hmm. uh, staggering shifts, uh, beginning to take temperature in some of the sites where we could, of course, the mask wearing. Uh, providing more access to hand sanitizer and to uh, uh, good hygiene in the plants uh, and really monitoring all of that. And again, like I said, we do it on a daily basis. Uh, yeah. If someone I... had symptoms, we would not hesitate to quarantine, to contact trace and to quarantine other people that have been in contact. So that hurt our productivity, but very early on, it made it very loud and clear to our people that we meant that their safety came first. Uh, and I think by and large, um, you know, our people are coming to the sites and feeling safe. In fact, many have told us they feel safer in our plant than they do in their personal lives where, um, you know, we can talk about this later, but it's in the US, it's been really uh, left to, you know, every community, every state to kind of do whatever they want. And we've seen very different responses across the country that has been challenging to deal with yeah. outside of our plants. but. So that was the first thing. And then the second part was really to, once we had that under control, to make sure that we could, again, meet that surge in demand. And it was about keeping the, the remote people where there's a whole different set of challenges there, right? You're working remotely. Right. You don't have a daily physical contact with your coworkers anymore. Uh, you're on Zoom or Teams all day long. Um, and so to be able to, to work with that group of people, I think the key there was to continue to show empathy because um, you know, what's, what's the challenges that you're facing are very different than the challenges that I'm facing. So um, to accept the fact that you know, uh, not every employee has the same challenges and just being willing to listen, to not have an ego, 
to wonder with them on what on how you can help them. Uh, and that, not just me, but really cascading down through the organization and fostering an environment for that ongoing dialogue and trying to support one another through a very difficult time. We've been confined now. The ones that have been working remotely is 230 days. So it's a long, long time yeah, and a challenging time as well for the people that have been working remote. How, how did you, and, and maybe uh, from, from what I can gather from those answers, I, I think this is going to be pretty insightful, but um, you talk about putting safety first and, you know, the physical safety of people and balancing that with this surge in demand is, has, it, at the plant level, has got to be just an incredible task by the, you know, by the people running the plants, I'm sure. Um, but what about the safety, the, the mental safety and the mental wellness for the employees? Because that, I think, has really come to the forefront at a lot of these businesses where, you know, not everybody is comfortable working remotely and there's a sense of, you know, loneliness and depression is on the rise. What, what have you, what have you guys done to help keep your employees safe uh, with regards to, to that aspect of things? Cause that's a big part of empathy, right? I mean, yeah, and, and you're right. And, and this is, I, I think if you, if you look back over the last 230 days, um, it, it has somewhat shifted where early on it was all about that physical safety. Mm -hmm. uh, but now we've, we've really gained, I think, outside of what we can control in the communities and what people do on their own time, inside of our plants, we have gotten really good control of how to protect and keep our people safe. The mental part is a lot more difficult. And that's right. the shift I think that we've seen over the last six months living through this pandemic. And, you know, you had Governor Cuomo at one point early on in the, in, the, in the crisis was saying, when you talk to someone and you ask them, how are you doing? Make sure that you stay on that question, that you try to really draw out how they are doing because it's easy to say, hey, I'm doing fine, but you don't really know. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's, it's challenging. I mean, we've created things within HR in terms of hotlines uh, that you can reach out to if you've got problem, but a lot of people may not necessarily want to do that. So what we're trying to promote is, is a lot of that open dialogue where you can listen. Um, our, our different teams are having not just business meetings, but coffee hours, lunch hours, um, happy hours where you can more connect on a um, on a um, on a more social basis, even though it's remote, uh, and really trying to care for one another. Um, is that enough or not? It's very difficult uh, to say, Adam. Right, because it's sure. e each individual. Um, the one thing I continue to reinforce as much as I can is that, and I, I truly feel it, is that we're blessed to work for a company like Aptar that has really protected its people, uh, has not done any layoffs uh, through this. Uh, and when you look outside your window, may not be directly outside your, your physical window, but when you look at the carnage that this country has gone through, um, not mm -hmm. just from a healthcare perspective, but also from an economic job losses perspective, uh, to be able to work for a company that cares Yes, it doesn't solve everything, uh, and it's difficult maybe to work at home with you know uh, many children and not ability to go out and 
So I, it's all about listening, trying to empathize and trying to help where we yeah. can. Uh, there's no magical recipe for that, but at least caring and being able to have empathy uh, and be willing to support and be willing to be vulnerable about all this, I think does help. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it, there, there can be a tendency, I think, in the midst of crises for, um, you know, selfish behavior. Like I just have to, I just have to take care of myself um, in, in terms of a business, right? So it's like, let's protect our profits, let's protect our brand. And it seems like, well, well, you know, that's obviously a concern for the president of a company. It seems as though you shifted to, we have to protect our people first and we're going to flow, filter our decision-making through that lens first and foremost. Um, and, you know, it's probably safe to say that you have, you have, you're, you're I don't want to say come out the other end because there's, you know, I think October just had, like in, in Utah, we had our, our biggest surge of COVID cases. So I don't mean coming out the other end, like we have come out the other end, but you would, you would, you would believe that Aptar's position to come out of this pandemic stronger as a company, having, uh, you know, gone through this together through it, through, you know, kind of being more resolved with one another. Um, I mean, just imagine the, the joy that will be felt whenever, whatever post COVID looks like, you know, whether it's because we have a vaccine or, you know, we have a, a, an easy treatment plan, whatever we're allowed, the joy that will be felt when those first meals are shared together as employees or the the water cooler, the things that we used to take for granted that used to be mundane, um, it, it will be, I just, I, I'm, I'm excited for those moments again. Um, you know, even something silly like getting on an airplane, I've had to get on one airplane, is that correct? Two, two airplanes during the, the pandemic. And that's even a very sterile experience. You know, I, I almost longed for being able to talk to my to just have a conversation with somebody again on an airplane. So, um, you know, to, to go through this with, with a group of people that you can look at them and say, we did put you guys first and we didn't lay anybody off and we are for you. It's just gotta be such a powerful statement. So, you know, um, kudos, kudos to you and your leadership team for that. And you know, one of the big recognition for us early on too, is, um, we, um, um, we went up to the higher senior levels in the corporation and promoted the idea of, of rewarding our people through a, through a financial um, thank you award, we called it. Uh, and when we did that, we decided to reward, um, there was some dialogue on should it be just uh, the frontline quote unquote people in the plant or because uh, they're more at risk or uh, what about the remote people? And we quickly realized that, you know, there was the physical safety, also the, the, the more mental safety part of it. And so the thank you award went to every employee, not just, mm. not just the people on the planet. I think that also brought that cohesive togetherness um, and the, the resiliency that we're going through. Uh, I'm extremely proud of what everyone's done across the organization. And to your point, when we come to the other side, whatever that other side looks like, um, we will have a chance to, I think, not just celebrate, but we'll be a much stronger group uh, as a result of this. Yeah. Of this. Yeah, completely agree. 
Um, well, I, I feel like, have you seen the, the Hamilton movie? No, I have not. Oh, have you seen the play? Maybe you're like, well, I've I seen it on Broadway. Seen the play. Oh, well, seen the play anyway, there's a scene where uh, Thomas Jefferson comes in and for those of you who have seen it, he says, can we get back to politics, please? We're not going to get back to politics, but let's get back to packaging for a second. Um, we, can, we can talk about politics if you want, because it, it, it is not not in the sense of the politics per se, yeah. but the impact that it has had in trying to lead a business during this this pandemic and this, this crisis, because it has not helped. Uh, sure. Um, for example, the, all this misinformation uh, people have a hard time filtering through the, the data that's coming out, the misinformation that's coming out, what is legitimate, what is not legitimate. Uh, so it's, it's confusing our people. We're trying to convey, hmm. um, you know, a very um, fact-based, science-based, really around the CDC guidelines message uh, to, to, to drive our decision, to share why we're making the decisions we're making. But then you get employees that come home and they get all these right. bombarded with all this different data and all these different sources and, and they're not sure anymore. And, and you've seen it, you've lived it where, you know, yeah. um, and, and that's really made it difficult. And I think I'm really concerned now. We're, we're far from being out of this. No, yeah, agreed. Uh, the, the summer was actually the easiest time to get through. Uh, now we're coming into the winter, right? More people mm -hmm. indoors is going to make it that much more challenging. And you got Halloween that we just finished. You got Thanksgiving, which is going to be a big still uh, issue in terms of traveling, in terms of families getting together. Then you got Christmas on the heel of this. The next two months could be very difficult in terms of getting through this uh, this this pandemic. So, for me, for leaders, I think in the in the business world, it would be helpful if we had um, uh, a, a more pragmatic fact-based, science-based, data-driven with a singular message on what our citizens should do during this, this, this incredible healthcare crisis. And, and that, that's missing today. And that's not about getting into the politics of, of one side or the other, sure. uh, but having a lot more consistency in how we look at this and, and really being focusing on the health of our people first and foremost. If we don't do that, uh, the economy will not take care of itself. It's got to, it's got to come in in hand. So right. that, that's been a challenge, I think, for business leaders, at least for me, it has been a challenge. Is, are you throwing your name in the hat uh, to be the actual president of North America in 2024? Is this a breaking news? Based on, uh, <laughs> on, on birtherism, I guess I, I don't qualify. <laughs> yeah, we won't get into that. Uh, but I totally agree. I've, I've said, uh, I've said repeatedly, and, and there's actually is a packaging connection with this. I've said repeatedly that I, I just wish not only did I know what to do as a citizen, but I just wish that everybody else agreed that that's what we're supposed to do. So, um, you know, that's, that, that is, that, that's been a, a huge point of contention. And where I think that that is an interesting connection with the products that Aptar makes and within packaging is, I think it's a similar message when it comes to something like, you know, you guys work in injection molded plastics. So, um, you know, there, there is a lot of confusion around plastics. You know, what do I do with this? Do I, do I recycle this? Can I recycle it? 
what's the best thing to use? Where should it go? How should I buy it? Um, you know, and there's really no, it's hard because the message gets a little convoluted, right? In terms of what people are saying about, about that topic. So do you see how I made that transition there? Um, but it is true. You know, we, we work in this packaging industry and it's, it's hard to tell people what is right um, when they're telling you that their consumers are telling them what's right. But you're like, but your consumers maybe are not accurate with their information. Anyway, it's, it's a fascinating parallel between the pandemic and misinformation and then packaging and misinformation. So how do you guys handle that conversation when in fact you are making dispensing mechanisms, which are absolutely necessary for, for a product and then balancing that with the information and oftentimes misinformation that's coming from, you know, the greenwashing people and the sustainability. So how, how do you guys manage that messaging as a company when, when you're making injection molded plastic pieces that, you know, may go into uh, various forms of primary packaging? That's a great point. Great question. And uh, um, in, in a way, it's interesting you bring that up because if I rewind the clock nine, 12 months, um, the main topic we were focusing on for our business is sustainability, mm -hmm. right? We're in a plastic world. Um, we know we have to be part of the circular economy. Uh, we know we're a big part of improving uh, the environment. And so uh, what was interesting is uh, th the core dialogue with our customers, uh, when you think of companies like Unilever or Procter & Gamble or L'Oreal, I mean, they have extremely ambitious goals stated publicly about what they want to do with respect to sustainability. And so that was the core of what we did. And then COVID-19 hit and sustainability took a, a back burner because it's, hey, we need, we need product. We need Just product availability, now. right? It's all about supply chain now. Get me a product, right? And what's good, we're starting to strike back a, a bit of a balance because for us, it's still front and center. Uh, our innovation is focused around sustainability. When we design a product, it's about making sure that it's a sustainable solution. Um, so for example, it's about um, removing uh, metallic parts and getting into uh, monomaterial stream, even on the plastic side. Right. Uh, it's been about moving away from virgin plastics to post-consumer resin. Uh, and I'm really proud to say that Beauty and Home North America right now is the leader within all of Aptar in conversion away from virgin to uh, to post-consumer. We still have a long way to go. Yeah. Uh, but we've done the most conversion so far. But it's a process, right? I mean, there's- uh, It's a process. There's so um, uh, it's, it, is, it is front and center. We are part of the circular economy. We're looking at reuse, recycle, convert. Uh, uh, we're part of the, you know, Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Uh, and, and really it's about, it matters as a business to be relevant. If you're not doing that, you will not be relevant any longer with, right. with your customers. And you need to adjust your business models. We, we, we need to make some capital investments in our plants 
in order to be able to accommodate uh, a PCR stream into the plant versus a, a version stream. Um, we need to invest in companies that have different business models, Loop, for example, in terms of, of reuse. Um, and, and, and so it is really clearly critical to be relevant. But what's fun too, it's also the right thing to do. It's right. the right thing to do for our planet. It's the right thing to do for our people. So when you can be part of a business like this, that can have a lasting impact uh, moving forward, uh, it, makes it, really, it makes it really exciting. And I'm hopeful that we get back to a point where this is kind of the core of what we do and not you know, uh, having to pivot back and forth with, with reacting to COVID-19. But the reality yeah. today is that we've got to do Yeah, that. exactly. All right, so I've got one last question for you, and we're kind of here at the end of the interview. It's been phenomenal. It's we haven't had an interview like this because, um, you know, you you have you have this this incredible responsibility during an incredible time. My my thirteen year old is really perceptive, and he told me, he said, "I can't believe that we're living in history." You know, this is a time that, as he's studying history in school, he's like, "But we're going to study this time." I'm like, wow, that's actually pretty perceptive of you. So, you know, you get to lead, but this is going to be a time I'm guessing that you'll come back to over and over again um, in, in your career. And we're going to get a lot of lessons from this, I, I can guarantee. So, um, so my question, I asked this question to everybody um, and, and I want you to feel free to take this wherever you want to. Um, and it can be uh, so, well, I'll ask the question and I'll, I'll kind of give you, I'll remove some parameters for you because I think this could be really fun. So the question is this, you are given the magic power sword of packaging justice. And with one swing of this sword, you can fix anything in the industry. Whatever you want to is fixed immediately. It's taken, it's, it's adjusted. It's a magic wand sometimes. In this case, it's a sword of justice, which sounds awesome and like a tattoo that I want to get. Um, so you're handed you're handed this thing. What is it that you would fix, and or that you would just make make happen? But I want you I, I want to give you freedom to even expand that beyond because we did cover a lot of humanitarian things as well. Um, so the one thing you can't say is I would fix COVID because that's an easy way out. Um, but what? What, what is it about the industry or maybe what is it about the way that companies transact business even within our industry that you would just get rid of immediately? You know, it's, it's, it's a good question. Um, it's um, from, a, from an industry perspective, um, something that I would have to probably put a bit more deeper thoughts into I'm very passionate about what we do. Um, very passionate about our company, our people, um, our customers, our suppliers, the ecosystem that we're in. And I'm very passionate because I like us to to succeed. Um, mm -hmm. I like us to to compete and win uh, in what we do, right? Yeah. Um, and so from a from a packaging perspective. Um, I'd like to be able to accelerate what we are doing specific mm. to our own little world uh, in the world of sustainability uh, and also in the world of e-commerce, right? To continue to come up with the right solutions that improve us as a business, 
Uh, and as we do this, by the way, the two are intertwined because the two really uh, hit at improving uh, a carbon footprint, improving mm -hmm. the planet really uh, from that perspective. And that I think is important for me uh, to see that to continue to move forward. But if I had that sword that you're talking about, uh, I probably would use it a little bit differently and uh, uh, solving the world of packaging is one thing, but I don't know that it's going to make the planet take a, uh, the kind of step forward that I would like to see. Uh, and um, what I'm going to tell you right now is probably not very original and many people would like to do it. Um, but I talked to you earlier about how much diversity matters to me. Uh, and so to be able to resolve specifically to what we're going through today um, in terms of social issues in our country mm -hmm. and in terms of just a national discourse and dialogue to get back to civility, uh, to being able to have an intelligent conversa conversation, even with different viewpoints, respect for everyone, uh, treating people uh, no other uh, their background, uh, their race, their gender, their religion in the same way every day. That's what I would use my sword for. Mm. And because it's that, if you have that kind of um, behavior, mindset, uh, approach in our society, we'll be stronger as a business mm -hmm. because our people will be more effective working together, challenging each other. Uh, and we've seen some of that, some of those issues, by the way, that lack of, of, of unity and, um, and, and really the way we're polarized today creep up into our business and it's, it, it makes it challenging to manage, uh, that that's really where we'd like to make a difference. Well, that uh, diversity and inclusion is a big thing for Aptar and it's a very big thing for me personally. Uh, and if I can make a difference in that area then I'd be extremely proud of what I've done for, for my family, for my children, for, uh, for the communities I live in and for, for the broader country. That, that's where I would like to take my sword. Yeah, well, that is the first time that anybody's answered that question that way. So it was original and it was why I wanted to give you permission. Uh, for those of you listening, it's not like we don't, we don't go through all of these questions together. This is a live conversation that Philippe and I are having. So um, that was, uh, I, I don't want to say that's what I expected, but I also am, am glad to hear it. Um, it, it's not only, as you said, it's, it's an issue that is, is impacting our industry and businesses in our industry, but it's only because of the fact that we are part of the, the country that we're in, you know, so people are themselves when they go home and when they're online and when they come in and to have, to, to interject that would just be, that would be wonderful. So um, I, I know I really appreciate your answer there. Um, and, and I'm hopeful that, you know, it's, it's something that other leaders in, in our country, business and likewise, will continue to not just talk about, but also be about. Um, and so I am, I will be actively hoping that your broadsword of justice is enacted and uh, that we can uh, we can get there at some point in time. So um, with that, uh, Philippe, I am so grateful to 
have met you now a couple of times and spent uh, some time with you here on the on the podcast. Uh, what is the best way for people to connect with you or uh, or with Aptar uh, if they if they want to dive into anything further? Oh well, I mean, you can um, you know you can publish my uh, my contact information. I mean, I can be reached at. Uh, uh, philippe.herhart at aptar.com uh, that's probably the best way to uh, to reach me and then uh, um, okay. I'm looking forward to to engage and uh, you know the key issues that face us uh, uh, in packaging and uh, more broadly in, in, in our in our country today definitely well I'll make sure that the email address is put out there and once again, thank you a ton for being on the podcast. It's just been a, it's been a joy to uh, talk, to chat with you and to hear your story and the things that you're passionate about. So I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, Adam. It was, it was actually a great, a great hour. I really enjoyed uh, the conversation and spending the time with you. Thank you very much for doing this. Yep.